Welcome back to another episode of the Three Rings Podcast. My name is Neil Sinha, joined along with Aiden Mulcrone and Vinayak Saroop, and we are three writers for the new All Pistons website by Fan Nation um, from Sports Illustrated. And so we have a very interesting episode today because we've kind of hit a lull period in the NBA where there's not too much going on, but the Pistons made absolute shockwaves yesterday when they announced the return of the teal jerseys i don't know if you can call them shockwaves but certainly within the detroit community i guess we can say that right and so i don't know about you guys i'm absolutely amped up about it bringing back these are the 19 late 1990s jerseys the grant hill era teal jerseys and so really excited for that and before we get into today's episode um, you know, per usual, make sure to follow us on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. And then today we're actually going to ask as well, if you guys could please um, follow us on Spotify or Apple podcasts and rate us on there. Cause that rating will help us grow as a podcast. So we'd really appreciate that. And so to get into the episode and the first question of the day is, what were your first thoughts on these teal jerseys, on these throwbacks coming back? Personally, I really liked it. I, I think it's it's about time. You know, the Pistons are turning a corner. Kate Cunningham. I mean, that's all that needs to be said. I mean, it's a, it's a new era, and it's glad it's good that we're finally bringing back. We're bringing back part of like a, a part of the Pistons' history that is pretty well fondly remembered. I mean. We can talk about this. Back in 2012, the only jerseys they had were just the white ones and the blue ones. So to just see the variation and then the fact that they're really bringing the teal jerseys means that I think organization and the PR group just has a bunch of faith in the team. So I'm honestly, I'm honestly amped up. They've been really doing well with the jerseys. They've come a long way from the Chrome Motor City jerseys, which I do have a Kay Cunningham jersey of, by the way. I'm not proud of that, but but yeah, no, I really like the fit. Yeah, I'm a fan of it, too. I really liked them. Uh, you know, obviously, they still carry them at the Mitchell and Ness store. So, you know, they're they're a classic. But yeah, again, they're a polarizing jersey for a lot of people in the fan base. I think a lot of the younger generation likes it, but not so much the older generations. Um, but yeah, I think because the younger generation likes it and they have a young core coming in, I think that that pushed them to to bring them back and yeah like you were saying they came a long way i mean they had the the motor city alternates which were not really that well done you know they had the ones that were the the t the short sleeve the t-shirt ones they had the yeah the gray ones with the dark blue lettering and you know i like the concept of those like in theory but yeah they, they didn't end up looking too good but I'm glad that these are back. For sure. I, I fully agree. I think that, you know, in a time where you have a lot of these teams going towards much more simplistic designs, um, you know, of course, like Utah came out with their new jerseys that are literally just practice jerseys, literally just says Utah. It's just two colors. Like, that's it. Same thing with Cleveland to a certain extent, too. Um, I really like the Pistons. I think it's kind of a refresher with the, the teal, the throwbacks, you know, that horse logo on there. I think it's really cool. And so I, I'm fully for it. I like it. I know a lot of people, you know, aren't really big fans of the teal jerseys and that's fine, but 
I think we're at a point with the Pistons that you could say they have one of the better, you know, uniform combinations of anybody in the league because I really like the city additions, of course. And I think even their blue and white home and aways have gotten a lot better too. So let me ask you guys this with those jerseys that I just talked about, you know, we don't, we don't know, by the way, what the city additions for next year will be since those turn over year in and year out. We don't know what the statement additions will be since they announced the, the gray Chrome ones aren't coming back. Um, I want to have you guys rank the four jerseys that I just mentioned of the teal throwbacks, the red city editions from last year, as well as the blue home jerseys and the white away jerseys, um, you know, rank those one to four. What are you guys going with? You put me on, you put us on the spot. Um, yeah, that's tough. Let me, let me, let me do this. So the blue home jerseys are definitely last for me. I just, when the Pistons made the playoffs in like 2019, they put the blue jerseys out like for the home games. And I just, I didn't like that. I just, I just did not like that. Um, I would probably say, this is, this is actually, okay, this is kind of a controversial opinion, but I really love it when they get the whites out on the road. I just think it just looks really, it looks really satisfying. Like I was always a fan every time. I remember when Jose Calderon was donning the white Pistons jersey. <laughs> when Jose Calderon. <laughs> In the 2012s. Like, I mean, I've always been a fan of the white, the white jersey at, at home or on the road rather. So I think that goes one for me, then Teal, then the City, and then the Blue Home. Damn, okay. I'm with you on the, the Blue Homes being last, but dang, white aways first. Okay. Yeah, it's clean. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> Damn, you put me on the spot because I was gonna have the white ones last. I was gonna say white oh, damn. last. I say <laughs> no, it's just the color the preference. It's not red is second, and then the teal's first for me. Uh, but honestly, I mean, I like the red a lot. But yeah, I mean, the teal is it's it's more classic. I think that's why it gets the edge. If like the the red one was more of the throwback kind of with the like throwback font and everything, I think that would be first. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult question to answer, but I think for me, number one has to be the Red City Edition jerseys from last year. I thought those were extremely well done. And by the way, shout out Big Sean for the work that he did on those jerseys as well as the teal jerseys now. Um, yeah, I think I, I really love those jerseys. I thought the Pistons and Cade Cunningham looked really good in them. I think number two, I'll have the teal jerseys kind of for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I think it was a good idea to bring them back. And by the way, let me just say with that too, shout out to the Pistons fans and Pistons Twitter for kind of bullying the organization and bring them back. Cause I think that was kind of the main reason they brought them back because they didn't initially think that people liked them. But anyways, number three, I'll go with the white away jerseys. I think those are really clean. I actually really like them. And then number four, I'll go with the blue home jerseys. They just, I don't know. They don't really excite me. You know what I mean? I, I don't get that excited to see those blue home jerseys, but they're not bad. I think you know, like I said earlier, the Pistons have a pretty good set of uniform combinations now. And so, yeah, I think as Pistons fans, we have to be pretty happy. I'm excited to see this young core, though, in these throwback teal jerseys, Kate Cunningham, Jay Nivey. And, and speaking of that young core, who is a player, this is another random question, that you guys really want to see? in these teal jerseys, you know, so when these come out on pre-sale and on sale in general, what player are you going to get for these throwback teal jerseys? All right. So my answer is going to be Cade Cunningham for sure. But I will say an underrated Jersey to get would be Isaiah Stewart 
because you know he's reminiscent of the, those uh, late '90s, like early 2000s Pistons kind of player, and that that 28 would would kind of look sweet in the teal. Yeah, I 100% agree. I was gonna say I say I mean Cade obviously just because it's Cade Cunningham, any jersey would look good. I unfortunately do have the chrome one, which is I don't know if we're ever gonna see that again. But um, no Isaiah Stewart, I think you just it's just a great fit. It fits him. If you guys don't know, Isaiah Stewart literally looks like a bodybuilder. The man is huge. So proportionally, the jersey will probably look good on him as well. Like look really buff and stuff. And hopefully gets in some fights, you know, not like the fights where it makes him like look bad, but you know, he plays that aggressive. Beat. I mean, it'll be, it'll be cool to see. So I got to go Stewart as well. Okay. I thought, I thought one of you would say either Sadiq Bay or Jaden Ivy, but I'll be the one to take Jaden Ivy then. Because I think, bro, that name in the teal, I mean, it just works perfectly with his nickname, Poison Ivy. You know what I mean? So it has the green, green sort of a connotation to bring out the English words. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I got to go Jaden Ivy. And I think it was really cool that they had him in that trailer on social media for releasing the return of the teal. Um, but yeah, I'll go Jaden Ivy, especially because I already have a Kate Cunningham jersey. So, all right, moving on. Again, horrible transitions, as we always do on this podcast. There's been a lot of talk with young cores in this league. The Pistons have been starting to get conversations, you know, in the national media with guys like J.J. Redick on his podcast. And so there's been a few people asking this question, but who has the best young core in the NBA? And I guess specifically, where are the Pistons on that list? Let's discuss it. For me, like, there's, like, a lot. I mean, you could obviously say, like, depends how you define young core. So I, I was just going to say, my bad, I forgot to yeah. define it. Young core means, you know, your best player is below 25, I would say. And you okay. have a few young pieces, you know, below 26, 27, I guess. Okay. Yeah, no, because, like, the cop-out answer is, like, oh, you know, the Boston Celtics, Jalen Brown, JT, J- Jason Tatum. But, um um i'm gonna go i really think like the houston rockets they just have so much depth like i was i was looking at a comparison between the rockets and the pistons and the pistons i think we can all agree have the best player in k cunningham but in terms of the depth the rockets are crazy i mean jalen green jabari smith sangoon kevin porter jr josh christopher they their draft was really impressive too tari eason ty ty washington just the whole i know i'm missing players too but just like a whole Josh Christopher, I don't know if I mentioned him too, like a whole bunch of just young guys. And like, the thing is like, most of these players are probably like not going to be stars or some of them will be role players, but you have like eight or 10 prospects on your team. And one of them is going to hit at some point. So I think I, I really like the depth of the Rockets. Yeah. I would say another team is the Grizzlies. They're, People don't really think about them as a young core anymore because Jaws in what his fourth year in the league now are about to be and Jaron is about to be in his fifth. But both of those guys are still under 25 or, you know, reaching 25. And then, yeah, Desmond Bain, another guy, the nice guy, Zaire Williams, you know, of course, they have a solid young core and they pretty much besides Dylan Brooks and, uh, who's Steven Adams, that their their whole team was pretty much under 25. 
and they were the two seed in the West. So I think that speaks a lot to about them. And I mean, a year from now, they probably won't be in this conversation, but I think for the time being, they are. Yeah, I'm with you on those two picks. And then, you know, I think for me, the non-Pistons pick that I'll take is the Indiana Pacers. I think they are surprising and under the radar in terms of young cores. I like Tyrese Halliburton, who's 22 years old. You know, we love Benedict Matherin, who's, of course, 20 years old. And then Miles Turner even is 26. And I know they just wanted to get DeAndre Aiden, and that didn't work out. But, man, I, I like Miles Turner a lot. You know, I've said it on this podcast before. I think he, he plays a good modern NBA type of game. He's a great rim protector, you know, consistently averages like two or three blocks every season. He can kind of shoot the three. Like, I think he's a solid player. He just needs to get healthy. So I like what the Pacers are doing out there. I think you got to mention Cleveland, of course, with Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. You know, that that's a good core that they got going there. But in terms of the Pistons, I don't see how they're not mentioned with being the best in this question. I think, you know, is it is it that far off to say, guys, that they have the best young court, do you think? Or is it just because they're so unproven right now? I think the unproven part for me also is just like, both Jaden, I mean, I think Jaden Ivy is going to be pretty good. Like, I think, I think you can like agree. Jalen Duran to me is still kind. I know like a lot of people like are really high on him, but he's also someone that's like hit or I mean, cause like you could just say the Pistons got Mark Williams, you know, if we just got that guy, I mean, people would be saying the same thing. So I think it's just more so of an unproven thing. I will say Sadiq and Isaiah Stewart deserve a little bit more credit than they, than they get Sadiq Bay, especially just from how low when we were talking about, should he go to the G league to now man's is dropping 50 <laughs> man's is dropping 50 a game. So, I mean, his comeback has been impressive. And then Stewart, obviously, hopefully we can see more from him. It's just kind of, we're just waiting to see more, but they know you're right. They're definitely in the discussion. I think the reason they're not in this discussion compared to a team like Memphis or Cleveland is, you know, obviously the product hasn't like finished and you can't see like they haven't won anything yet. Like they haven't even made the playoffs or been remotely close. They still were pretty much tanking last year, had odds for a top three pick and then obviously had the number one pick the year before. So I think in that sense, that's that's why they are rated lower um, because they haven't really competed yet. But I think they will either, you know, within the next two years, I would say they would they wish they should be competing at the level of Cleveland. And I think also to add to that, I would say that the other thing is Cade Cunningham, who's like supposedly the centerpiece, um, hasn't shown himself as much as, you know, like a LaMelo ball who made an all-star game. So I think in that, and or Darius Garland or John Morant. So yeah, like in that sense too, it's the centerpiece hasn't reached like the same heights as well too. Yeah. And I think, you know, with Cade, you kind of hit on it. It's crazy to think that we're starting to have these conversations, but their number one guy is literally 20, 21 years old and has had one season in the NBA. And yet it seems so everybody seems so sure that Kate is that dude. He's, you know, the number one option on a championship team. And that just goes to show how his rookie season went, the great job and the potential that he flashed. 
And so, yeah, I think, you know, I, it's, it's premature certainly to put them up there with all these other teams, just for the reasons that you guys already said, I will say this though. I think the Pistons have the best depth of a young core. I would put it over Houston, by the way, just because you now have Jaden Ivey, you have Jalen Duran to go with the three, you know, pretty solid pieces that they already had in Cade, Sadiq Bay, and Isaiah Stewart. And then who knows, whatever happens to Killian Hayes happens, but he could be one of those guys too. So, you know, they could have a whole starting lineup pretty much of just guys, what, 24 or younger. I mean, that seems like what it might be next season. And so I think for that reason, they have probably the best depth. And, and by the way, with that, I think it puts the Pistons in a position now where they don't need everything to work out perfectly. Not every player needs to hit from the young core that they have. You know, if Jaden Ivey doesn't hit, but Jalen Duran does, that's fine because you have Cade Cunningham, you have Sadiq Bey, who I think could, could turn into a number three on a championship team, certainly is a great starter in the league, that's for sure. And then you have Jalen Duran. You know, so the point is, is they don't need everything to roll perfectly like they did two years ago and like they did last year at this time. They're in a position with all these guys that just if some of them hit and really hit their potential and hit their ceiling, the Pistons are going to be really, really good, man. And I think things are going to turn around quicker than people expect. You know, we'll go over expectations in a later episode, but you got to be excited for the Pistons right now. And, you know, one of those guys on that young core, by the way, is Isaiah Stewart, obviously, who we've discussed a lot. And so this kind of rolls into the next question. But Troy Weaver gets a lot of praise for all the moves that he's made. Which one would you do differently? And the reason why I said Isaiah Stewart I'll kind of give a preview of my answer before you guys go is because I think that trade that he had to get that 16th pick in the 2020 draft will be the answer for me. Um, I think that, you know, giving up the future first round pick that he gave, it didn't really matter because it's so protected, but if the Pistons start winning, they can't trade that pick because it's all protected until 2025. And so I think that is probably the worst Weaver decision that I'll, I'll take, but even that's not bad because you got Isaiah Stewart out of it. Um, I think like it's a like people are just gonna come like comments like objectively, oh, it's Killian Hayes, it's Killian Hayes. But just like I guess the alternative was Tyrese Halliburton. But in a world where that happens, we may may not have KCon. You know, it's just like the alternate universes. You know, so I can't like get too mad. Also, he has not much. He hasn't. He still has more to prove. To at least if he can be in the league, honestly, if you can get an NBA player at seven then that's good. You know, it's not like this, this thing where he has to be a superstar that like people were making it out to be. But um, for me, I think the Mason, the Mason Plumlee signing, I just thought just didn't, it didn't really make my, I, so I liked having Mason Plumlee on the team. Like he was actually solid for a couple games, but like when they first signed him, like the idea is like, oh, he's going to be a good pick and roll partner for Killian. I mean, come on. He's just a center who can't shoot. And Really, like it was really frustrating watching him at the free throw line at times because the man's cannot shoot, and you got you got to be able to offer something more than you know because it's, it's Mason Plumley. You know, it's not like it's not like someone who's like a crazy athlete or athlete or anything like Jalen Duran. He's literally Mason Plumley, and then then they did a salary jump. They traded him to Charlotte. They had the thirty seventh pick, and they got the fifty seventh pick, which ended up being Balsa Kopravica. But uh, and the thirty seventh pick ended up being JT Thor. 
and they use that money to get Kelly Olynyk, which I mean, I mean, I guess Kelly Olynyk is a marginally better, I guess, because he can shoot. But the whole way they've been running that little center backup center thing has just been, it feels a little bit unnecessary to me. But um, if that's what I'm complaining about, you're like backup center, then you've, you've done a pretty good job. And I had to really think about that one for sure. I was surprised neither you said the Jeremy Grant trade. Um, but the trade, honestly, like, like w- including Durin. Well, yeah. Okay. No, no, that's interesting. I mean, I think, I mean, I that trade itself is fine because obviously you flip that for Durin, but I probably would have traded Jeremy Grant a, a year and a half before. He actually got traded. So yeah. Okay, yeah, there's that. Point. That I think that I mean, obviously it turned out like hindsight 2020 turned out to be like a blessing in disguise that they didn't trade him. But yeah, that's probably something I, I would have done. And obviously a lot of fans would also probably have done that just because there was a lot of unease. And I think his stock was a lot higher um before and ended up not being that high uh, when he was traded. So we'll see. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of counter that because I think, you know, just because you – the trade value, like we've talked about this on this podcast, but the trade value on that wasn't good inherently and just straight up. But he freed up so much cap space that it then meant he was able to get the salary dumps like Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks. And that meant more picks. And then, of course, they got Jalen Duran out of it. So I feel like that ended up actually being a pretty good decision. But I don't know. But I, do you think that was a good decision or a bad decision looking back on it? No, I mean, I see what Aiden's saying. Like, I think at one point Boston offered um, Boston offered three first. And this was like Jeremy Grant's first year. And you could argue, sure, they could have taken that. But given the circumstances, compared to the trade deadline, too, looks like their best offer from what I could get, from what I could read was, Josh Hart and a second. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, Josh Hart is like solid, but you know, I feel like you're getting more with value with Duran. And then, like you said, the salary, the freed up salary. Now we can kind of argue about whether they should have just taken Nerlens Noel and uh, Alec Burks, you know, as the because I don't, I think they just got one second out of it, which I guess you could say is disappointing. We could talk about the salary, but the fact is the Grant trade freed up like a lot of flexibility for the Pistons. So for me, I don't think it's a bad trade, but I can see why someone would say. If they traded him like early, like his first year, then it, we would have got more value. But there's also the idea he came to Detroit to play for, you know, black GM, black coach. I mean, there's also in his first year, it would have been kind of awkward, like PR wise to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of considerations there for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I already kind of gave out my answer um, that the trade that ended up getting Isaiah Stewart with the Houston Rockets in 2020, I think it was the Houston Rockets, could be wrong. Uh, yeah, no, it was Houston. But yeah, basically, you know, Troy was trying to get extra picks in that draft. It was his first draft. If you guys remember, this is when he was trading literally everybody on the roster that he inherited. Um, and so, you know, he traded that future first round pick. It was the 2021 first round pick te- technically, but really protected and will be really protected until 2025. But he traded that to then get Trevor Ariza, who we then like cut right away and stretched his contract on the books and for the 16th first round pick in 2020. And 
to me, I just thought with that trade and I still look back on it and it, it honestly, it's not like that meaningful other than the fact that it obviously got Isaiah Stewart, but it was just weird. <laughs> I, I look back on it a lot and I try to think what was the reasoning for it and why does it even make that much sense? Cause you know, you traded a first round pick while you're in a rebuild. And I understand that it's really protected, but like I said earlier, if the Pistons, let, let's just go talk about alternate universes. Let's say they somehow make the playoffs next year. And then in 2024, they're competing for a championship. That's when you'd want to trade your first round pick and have the assets to add more guys. They won't be able to do that just because they won't have that pick. And because it's actually so protected in the future, all the way until 2025, they, they literally can't trade any of their first or their next three first round picks, I believe. But I, I guess it's it, in the long run, it doesn't really matter too much because let's be honest, the Pistons probably aren't going to trade that pick. So, you know, I'll kind of go back, I guess, on my answer. And I'll, I think the cop out has to be Killian Hayes. But either way, I think, you know, however you look at this, Troy Weaver has done a great job. And if this is what we're, you know, arguing over these decisions that still many could look at and say were great decisions, you know, we're in a pretty dang good spot. So most definitely, most definitely. Yeah. And, and to go along with, you know, Pistons opinions, maybe bad trades you thought Troy Weaver made, and this will go all the way to whenever you started being a Pistons fan, um, if there is one opinion that you have on the Pistons organization, this could be anything from Tom Gorris to Stan Van Gundy to Joe Dumars to whatever, whatever player you want to talk about, whatever. What is your one Pistons opinion that has everybody against you? I'm curious. I can go first. Um, my opinion was goes to the Stan Van Gundy administration. A lot of people – They'll just like just say Stan Van Gundy was a horrible GM and he was a horrible coach and they'll just use such a negative connotation. But I really feel like the context is a really important like that whole time was just derailed by injury. So I'm just going to go year by year. In 2014, the first year, they were five and 23 when they waived Josh Smith and then the Pistons proceed to go seven game win streak, 12 and three. Brandon Jennings is playing like an all star. And I still stand by this that I think like his whole career would be so much different if he didn't tear his ACL or towards Achilles, I believe, against the Bucks. And then ever since that happened, then the Pistons, then they stopped winning. Then they made the trade for Reggie Jackson. They finally get somewhat healthy the next season and they go 44 and 38, I believe. They make the playoffs. People will come at, at us and be like, oh, you know, they got swept. That team's not winning a championship. Fair, but the team hadn't made the playoffs in 2000, since 2009. And like that whole seven year period, there have been quote-unquote rebuilding so you know you tell me like if you're gonna they probably didn't and if they were going to rebuild they didn't have the right people in charge to do that I think that's fairly obvious but the real one comes for me is like the 2016 season comes Reggie Jackson's like hurt for most of the year and they don't achieve but then you get into 2017 I know I'm like just going the years in 2017 the Pistons actually started 14 and 6 they got rid of Contavious Caldwell they had Avery Bradley and everyone was healthy and that that team actually looked like that could be like a 50-win roster. But then Avery Bradley goes down. Then Reggie Jackson goes down. And the whole team is just, you know, discombobulated. And, that, and then at that point, like, it's over. Injuries were just killing this team. And then I think – I don't even think Stan made the trade for um, for Blake Griffin. I think I think Tom Gores really and Armtown definitely pushed him to make that trade. 
I, if it was short-sighted, I mean, Blake was great to have, but I mean, let's be real. It was a short-sighted move. And I think he was pressured to just because they'd started the season so good. And then now all of a sudden we're not going to make the playoffs anymore because of all these injuries. And I'm not going to excuse his drafting. I think Donovan Mitchell or Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell is, is tough. I don't really think Stanley over Devin Booker is as bad because Booker was 13. Uh, Johnson was eight. I don't think you could get mad at those. You could get mad at the horn. They took Frank Kaminsky. No one's getting mad at the Hornets for <laughs> selecting uh, Devin Booker. But, um, yeah, I just feel like injuries aren't talked about enough. Um, a lot of Pistons fans hate Reggie Jackson for some reason, but homie gave it his all. I mean, he he helped the Pistons tank last year to game winner on us. And just saw a player. I just feel like injuries kind of robbed us, robbed us of kind of good basketball in the 2010s, per se. So, yeah, shout out Brandon Jennings. Shout out Reggie Jackson. Shout out all of them. It was a good time. It was a good time. That definitely puts a lot of people against you, including me. I think yeah. that's no. Get him, Aiden. No. Stan, Stan Van Gundy's he's the antichrist. Um, I think. <laughs> I think. Hey, bro. <laughs> all right. I think, for my opinion, um, a lot of people obviously talk about redrafting and stuff. I think, for me, a lot of I've seen some people on Twitter be like. Oh, if the Pistons didn't draft Darko, if they took Chris Bosch or Dwayne Wade or Mello, that they they win more championships. I think if they do that, they don't win any championships. I think just the team chemistry. I think Chris Bosch would have been decent, but you know the whole that that wouldn't make you take room up from Rasheed Wallace and you know. So, and other guys like that and Ben Wallace too. So, you know, as a rim protector. So I think just team chemistry wouldn't be there with any of those three other guys. Um, and they, they would, they would have never won another ring and we'd still have two championships. So that's kind of a hot take, but I stand by it. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think, I think it's hard to like imagine. I mean, you can't even complain about the Darko pick considering they made like the Eastern Conference Finals like six years in a row after that. So I don't know. And also ego, like these players, these next three players, like you said, are, are like actual superstars. And then, like you said, egos would come in the way. And I don't know. I mean, I don't think I don't I think Melo's the only one that really had an ego. I don't think Dwayne Wade or Chris Bosch did at all, but but just I given their, they, their trajectory, you know, they would probably yeah. be the number one guy. I don't know. I mean, they're your, this is your take. A lot. I mean, a lot of the Pistons' success was built off defense, and Melo's not that great of defender. Wade is average, and I mean, Bosch is a really good defender, but he just takes away, you know, the other the other assets that they had around him. So, I think in that sense, it would have just been difficult. I think they could they could have made the finals like they did before, but I don't know if they would actually win it. Yeah. So. For mine, I will be going back to that era that Aiden was just talking about, the going-to-work era, the 2004 championship. And I think this one will get a lot of haters just because, you know, there's a lot of new fans of the Pistons. or I shouldn't say new fans, but younger fans that remember Joe Dumars and all the bad things that happened with them. I will, for this, for my opinion, it's that Joe Dumars wasn't actually a bad GM. I think you can make the case that he was a bad, maybe modern day GM, but I think even that there's points to be argued there 
here's what I'll say. Detroit doesn't win that 2004 championship without Joe Dumars as their general manager. Let's be very clear about that. He came to the Pistons, I think, in the 2000, I think in year 2000, right before the 2001 season. I could be wrong. But he, he took that team that had, you know, guys like Jerry Stackhouse, um, Grant Hill, and they just weren't winning games. And he turns them into a team that wins the championship in 04, makes six straight Eastern Conference finals. Like, that is a dynasty that he built in the early 2000s. And I think that is all on him because he, he got all of those players. He signed Chauncey Billups in 2002 to the five-year, $35 million contract. Back then, of course, it was a lot. But he, he made that signing. He traded for Ben Wallace. He traded for Rasheed Wallace. He, he uh, traded for Rip Hamilton as well. He traded for all those guys. Everybody on that team was picked or traded for by Rip, ha- or by Rip Hamilton, good Lord, by Joe Dumars, including, by the way, Tayshaun Prince, who was picked 23rd in the 2002 um, NBA draft. I'm pretty sure it was 2002. It could have been 2001. We're talking about two decades ago, so my bad if I'm missing – dates by a year or so but that was a big time draft pick and so the point is they win the championship and that's because of joe dumars as their general manager i understand the darko milicic pick but let's be honest as gms you're gonna miss some and darko was going top five in that draft for sure even if the pistons didn't take him i will die on this hill maybe this is another opinion he was gonna get picked in the top five so it wasn't like he just took a guy who wasn't supposed to even get drafted at second overall. Like that's not how that went. And so I, I think he built that championship team. They had sustained success. They still made the Eastern conference finals in 08. And then LeBron and everybody took over with the Celtics as well. And so I think you got to give him credit for that. And I'll say this to end this point, <clears throat> when they signed Josh Smith and Brandon Jennings, <clears throat> I think the Pistons kind of got all in on the money of free agency and trying to do a quick turnaround and that is on Joe Dumars. I think you also got to look at the fact that they had just changed ownership. Tom Gores had just bought the Pistons right before the summer of 2013. I think he got him in 2011 or 2012. But the point is, you got to think that he had to have been pressured a bit by Tom Gores. And so, yes, those were bad signings, but I'm also with Vinayak. I think they didn't work out as much because of the injuries. Josh Smith wouldn't have worked out. I'll say that, but Brandon Jennings, I think, was a solid sign and trade. I want to ask. I was, I was just gonna say. No, quick, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. How do, how do you define? You use the word dynasty, but how do you define that? Because I think, in my eyes, like the going to work Pistons were it was an era, more than a dynasty. Because if that makes sense, because I don't know, I really only define dynasties if they win like two championships or more. Okay, no, I mean, that's fair. I'll I'll go back on that comment then. But it's, I would agree that it's certainly an era. You know, when you make six straight Eastern Conference finals, that is an era of dominance. Like, I think there's been a few teams, Toronto Raptors in 2019, that, you know, will win one championship and then you don't see them really get that far in the playoffs again. That's not, you know, yes, great job. You won the championship, which is amazing. And I think any any Detroit fan would die for that right now, by the way. But 
when you have that sort of sustained success of making the playoffs going far in the playoffs as the Eastern Conference finals are, that is an era at the very least. Maybe not a dynasty because I'm with you. I think you got to win multiple championships. Yeah, I think for a dynasty, you need to have multiple championships to show for it. Making the Eastern Conference finals shows you're just a really competitive. It kind of reminds me of like the Pacers um, back when Paul George was on there. You know, they'd make the conference finals, but never would go anything more than that. So I agree. I agree that you need to um, you need to win multiple championships. So it's not necessarily a dynasty, but it had the potential. It had the potential. So I'll leave it at that on, on that answer. But on that note, that wraps up this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you made it to the end, we are doing a fan episode for our next upcoming our next upcoming episodes. And if you want to come on to our podcast and talk with us anything about the Pistons, please be sure to hit us up on our social medias. You can catch us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. Sure, you can come on YouTube as well if you want to do that. So be sure to hit us up if you want to collab. We'll probably make a post about it too. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening again. And we'll see y'all on the next podcast.